This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. Every single Thursday, we cover a Making the Business Case episode here on the show, where we talk about the practical realities of deploying AI. How do we measure ROI? How do we figure out if we're looking at the right solution? And how do we overcome challenges to actually deliver results? And I have one of my, and I'm not supposed to say this, all-time favorite guests with us on this episode. Our most downloaded episode in all of 2019 was about AI ROI, and it was with none other than Sankar Narayanan, who is the Chief Practice Officer at Fractal Analytics. Fractal Analytics is a unicorn company. They're a services firm focusing on AI and advanced analytics and industries like retail and CPG and a variety of others. Sankar has a lot of practical, hands-on experience, and he speaks to us this week about the questions to ask if you are buying or selling AI services. Sometimes when a buyer is wholly ignorant with an AI vendor, some AI vendors will take advantage of that and they'll smirk to themselves and know that they can pull one over in terms of getting away with unrealistic upfront expectations. But most vendors will sort of frown, knowing that they have so much educating to do for this buyer to even see if there's a fit in the first place or if there's any kind of long-term potential uh, with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about. But as it turns out, you don't need a PhD. You don't even need to know how to code to be able to ask the right informative questions to assess a vendor and find a fit. So whether you're buying or selling, this interview is not going to be one that you want to miss. And before we dive into the episode, if you haven't downloaded it already, you can get a copy of our PDF guide called The Five Ways to Select the Right AI Vendor for Free. You can download the entire PDF for free. It's at emerj.com slash B-U-Y and then the number one, emerge.com slash buy one. You can download our five ways to select the right AI vendor. It's a free PDF you can download immediately on the page. It'll add a little bit of texture and color to some of the principles and some of the core questions that Sankar brings up in this episode. So without further ado, we're going to fly right in. This is Sankar Narayanan with Fractal Analytics here on the AI and Business Podcast. So SN, um, we'll dive into this interview and focus on sort of the, the must-ask questions as we get started working with a client when it comes to artificial intelligence. We've heard all kinds of horror stories of people going into a project and then you know, realizing after the deal is signed that they can't access the data or that we don't have enough of it or there's some legal you know, or HR issue that's keeping us from doing things. When you think about what really has to get answered to know that this project is going to be real on the way in, what are some of those big ones for you? Sure, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, it's a it's a it's a very interesting question, and I you know I'm going to struggle to limit myself to the time on. This, I know, on this right? One. Yeah, yeah. You could probably <laughs> talk for three hours on this one. I realize that. Yeah. So you know, th- this question has a very contextual answer. Different industries uh, need to deal with different problems as they attempt to solve organizational priorities through AI. And uh, let me take a couple of examples. So. One of the things connecting industries like healthcare, banking, insurance is regulation. We've had a, a number of cases where, you know, the business stakeholder, maybe the head of marketing or head of customer management, uh, is very focused on growth and driving customer experience, and and they they have grand vision of how this, uh, you know, how uh, they will reorient the organization organization around uh, doing the right thing for the consumer and building a very customer-centric organization. Fantastic, right? Equally, on the other side, there is a need to ensure that driving better customer experience or building things around the consumer will, you know, will also need to have a regulatory uh, construct to it. So think about a scenario like, you know, banking and customer experience. 
simplifying the financial you know solutions and products for the consumer might mean having access to information about the consumer that will make this actually uh, this process more meaningful but the flip side to that is what amount of information about a consumer is actually legitimate or legal to hold and what information about consumers has the potential to be used in a manner which is different to what it was meant to be used for. So this is a very critical uh, component to think about because a number of organizations have been uh, you know, publicly fined for using information that they have access to uh, for purposes that are not necessarily what the data was meant for. So asking these questions right up front, and, and especially in the world of you know, non-explainable AI, it becomes an even more critical uh, component to consider. Yeah, so that would be okay. a, a big area. Yeah, so let me. Do, I'm just going to jot these down as we yeah. go. The first one, just to nutshell it, and then we'll keep moving. I know you've got plenty mm-hmm. of these, and, and I think they're all important. The first one is just around regulatory concerns. Does that mean we need the regulatory person or persons maybe in the room while we're scoping a project? So we're determining what's important. We're determining where to focus. Do we just need to yank that person in for one of those meetings and just really flesh out all the risks and make sure it gets the okay with them? What does it look like to handle that question? What does it look like to actually make sure we can be confident? Absolutely. Uh, the most non-scalable manner of doing this is to have a regulatory, uh, you know, person handling regulation in every meeting, right? It's it's great. It'll solve the problem, but it's just not practical. So this this uh, has to, uh, you know, have a bit of a, a different approach. So in engagements that we are working on, the way we think about this is for us to construct this in such a way that a person that is involved in regulatory management is able to consume what we are looking to build in their language, in their world. And that allows them to very quickly respond with what may be the do's and don'ts. So absolutely, bringing them in initially is critical, but that does not necessarily mean taking their bandwidth away to focus on, you know, to think about every possible problem that is happening across the rest of the rest of the organization. So that's a very critical component. In fact, the more we do this, uh, what's also likely to happen is that people that are looking at risk and regulation as, as they do job will tend to take that lens on everything so it might also the flip side of that is it might also stifle innovation so it's a delicate balance and how we look at this is establish milestone reviews with with some of these specialists milestone reviews with regulate uh, regulatory folks is a great way to help them keep abreast of what we are building uh, but also take an extremely critical and important input at the right stage in the engagement itself yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep. So it'd be it'd be neat to have them in for the whole process, but sometimes they're gonna just be skeptical about everything and nervous about everything. It makes more sense to know the high level commander's intent, big issues that we need to steer clear of. Speak to them in common language. Everybody in the room gets it, and then we figure out the next time when we're gonna need to pull them in. We set our milestones and we we move forward with the original kind of business contact and build our plan out. That's right. So that is uh, one bucket. Okay. A second, uh, a big bucket is is technology choices. And by technology choices, I'm not just talking about uh, information technology. I'm also uh, talking about the upstream and downstream, you know, points of connection from whatever it is that we're building. Let's say we are looking at solving customer experience problem. And we are looking at understanding how do we simplify customers' interaction with the organization, whether it be a bank or a healthcare provider and so on. Now, there are many upstream and downstream parts to this process. 
there is the AI development part. But before that, there is, uh, you know, the opportunity to think about all of the data considerations, the building of the right uh, data pipelines, and what data is available, accessible, accurate, and uh, enterprise ready. So that is a very key part of this, this problem. And then the downstream aspect is equally important, which is how does this get consumed within the workflow of users that are actually going to be the recipients of, of this AI framework? Oftentimes, the biggest roadblock we've seen in scaling AI and creating ROI, return on investment through AI, is this issue of downstream adoption. And we place a huge deal of emphasis on it. There have been engagements where we've spent the first eight to nine weeks of a, of a 12, 16-week engagement figuring out adoption dynamics. Yeah, yeah, that is the tougher part. I mean, there's an algorithm that might be able to find an anomaly. There's a, there's a recommendation we might be able to kick off, but in whose workflow does that have to show up? Do they have to click something separate to see it? How is it going to be embedded in their workflow so they actually use it? Are they going to trust this thing if they weren't a part of building it? I mean, these are questions that are often, they're so numerous that they'll just slay a project dead. What does it look like to really flesh out that fit? You said the upstream, but now you're talking about the downstream almost feels more complicated. Is that just about talking to those users? Is that about figuring out what the workflow is going to look like and doing mock-ups and making sure people feel confident they would actually do that? What do we have to handle there? Yeah, yeah. So there are two ways in which, uh, at least we've been thinking about this problem. One is uh, definitely about rapid prototyping and uh, bringing a, a design thinking framework to this, right? A great way to help people become part of the solution especially downstream users, is for us to understand their world better. And what better way than mocking up and scenario simulating you know, a user's journey? So building personas of various users and, and looking at each of the problems from their lenses uh, is, is a, it's, it's an extremely important uh, part, of, uh, part of our thinking. So I call this the Rochamon effect of uh, problem solving uh, because the idea is, you know, when we look at the same problem from different lenses, different people involved in, in actually making this solution a reality, they all come from different contexts and how they are going to use the AI solution is going to be contextual to their, you know, a day in their lives, which may be very different to a day in the life of a data scientist. So being able to create uh, those personas and the user journeys that they are going through on a daily basis is a fantastic prerequisite for making AI solutions super successful. So that yeah. is one way. A second way in which we, we also have been uh, looking at this is, you know, there's a point that I, I was saying earlier around observation than asking. Right. You know, it's back to the, the old question of uh, would iPhone have been an idea that consumers would have you know, wanted if we had asked consumers whether they would, they would like an iPhone. Most consumers, in fact, at that point in time said that, you know, how can a phone not have buttons that I can click? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. so, and we now know how important that that you know one particular innovation was in understanding a great deal about human attitudes and how we think about a problem. More often than not, we cannot really reason out why we think we are going to do something or why we want to do something. And most answers that we tend to provide when asked a question is around the aspirational what we want to be as opposed to who we are. 
And that important distinction is, is also very critical in designing the framework itself to account for the fact that we are not very good at being able to reason out why we want something, but we are extremely good at adapting to something as soon as it is, it is in front of us. So these are the two ways in which we think about this problem. Yeah. And how do you take that second thing? The, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the fact that, that you don't know if they want the iPhone, uh, you sort of observing and then asking, does this mean, you know, sure, we, we go in, we build the personas of, of the actual users. That's one side of the coin. Were you implying that the other side of the coin is you maybe suggest and maybe build out mock-ups of what the solutions could be, things that you know they would never ask for themselves, and then see if they like it? Is, the, is this the opposing perspective you're bringing up, or were you implying something different? Yeah, that's right. So so one part of it is uh, understanding the journey of different personas. And then you know once we understand the workflow, then putting our AI solution into that workflow becomes a straightforward answer. There are many, many workflows, such as, you know, think about underwriting and insurance. It's a highly complex workflow, right? And there are many, many, many different personas involved in a typical underwriting workflow. Pretty much every insurer in the world is thinking about zero-touch underwriting. How do we simplify this process? Because even though there is a well-defined workflow that is working well, it is highly clunky. And that clunkiness is leading to a lot of additional cost overheads which is effectively also making uh, premiums expensive. So there is a clear opportunity in simplifying this process. But if you ask the various personas that are part of this uh, underwriting workflow on what they would need, they may not be able to articulate that simply because no one person has a full comprehensive view on all the parts of underwriting as as a function. And that's where taking a provocative point of view to help simplify this is a great way for them to reimagine what could be the ideal way forward. Got it. Okay. So we've got the regulatory considerations. We need to get those out of the way. And we've talked about a way of doing that. We need to figure out who the heck is going to use this? Of course, there's the upstream, but you know, you're talking about mm-hmm. the preeminent difficulties with the downstream ways of thinking through that. In terms of other critical questions, is there one more that for you, obviously there, there might be 20 more, but one more that you would really think is maybe most important to close out on that, that also just has to be handled up front. If we want to know that this deployment is going to be, have a chance of delivering value, if we want to know this is really something people are going to be able to carry forward, what do we need to answer during those early conversations? What else? Yeah. Sure. Uh, like you said, there are there are many more. Yeah. Uh, but one one other important one for me would be around the solution itself, right? What is it that we are building? And and this goes back to the question on what is the ROI of AI. There are two ways in which you can answer this, right? If you ask this question of a functional head, a head of marketing, a head of risk, a head of claims, and so on, they are not so much uh, worried about the generalizability of the solution but they are more focused on its ability to sharply address their functional metrics, right? Which could be reducing the cost of claims. uh, It could be marketing return on investment and so on and so forth. Now, this is somewhat like, you know, AI for chess or AI for Go or AI for, uh, you know, uh, natural language processing. But organizational ROI may be something else. So if you ask the same question to the CEO, he or she is most probably thinking about generalizing the process of learning across the organization and not just functional return on investment through AI. In her mind, this question is something similar to 
how do I make this organization as good as a baby's adaptive learning ability, right? How does the organization generalize the process of learning? And that's really the true value of AI for the organization. That's what the CEO is thinking and not just marketing ROI or reducing the cost of claims. And that for us is the is the other important lever, which is to identify and work with different parts of the organization and you know, being external in, we are able to distill the requirements of so many different personas or, or you know, parts of organization leadership into helping construct something that will be relevant to functional needs, but also building an organizational fabric to generalize the process of learning. Yeah, yeah. So when you say, what are we building? What is the ROI? What you're saying is, that involves a lot of wide conversations, and that involves being able to connect the dots between the what we could maybe call lower level needles we can move, which of course are important if we're not moving any needles. I mean, this is not a really useful exercise if we're not at least trying to, but then also addressing the higher level needs, the longer term transformation, the evolution and maturity of our company in terms of AI readiness and digital transformation, etc. So it sounds like connecting the dots of different conversations and different needs to a coherent vision of here's the measurable, here's the strategic value here, that has to be sort of solidified early on. Number one, is that a good nutshelling or do you want to add to that? Number two, how do you know when you've gotten there? How do you know when you've you've framed it well enough that you're kind of complete, more or less? Yeah, yeah. so in a nutshell, exactly what you said, so completely agree with that. On the, on the second one, it is, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. So I don't think there is a there is a good answer, except for are these conversations continuing to happen on an ongoing basis? That is the only measure of success. If these conversations are continuing to happen, it means that there is organizational interest in building further and further on this. And this this goes back to something that I said earlier, which is about the moving goalpost problem. Yep, yep, yep. Organizations are not dealing with chess problems. Organizations are dealing with a moving goalpost, a consumer sentiment that is going to continue uh, to evolve, answering the street, which is going to ask tougher and tougher questions. So a good sign of organizational success is if the goalposts actually move. It simply means that the first goalpost has been attained already. And that's uh, that's a great way to understand uh, if the organization is making progress. I dig it. Yeah. So we can get to good enough to feel good about moving. So we can get to good enough, hey, Functional leaders, you, f- you feel like we're on the right page? Yeah, I think so. Hey, CEO, you know, th- this is sort of a coherent vision of how the low level connects to the high level. You know, you feel like we're on the right page. Yeah, but really what we're doing is we're hoping that we make a couple checkpoints forward and we kind of update and iterate on that. And then we, we come to kind of the new consensus and a new set of directions. So ultimately we can get so far, but the point is to then learn and then get so much farther. It sounds like that's what Absolutely. you're saying. Got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, as said, I know that's all we have for time. It's, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I've gotten some excellent stuff written down while we were chatting here today. So thanks as always for being able to share your insights. Dan, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And I enjoyed the questions as usual. You know, it's become a habit uh, of me saying this uh, with you, uh, <laughs> but, but really glad to have this conversation and uh, look forward to many more. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you're thinking about procuring artificial intelligence solutions or products in the near term, you'll definitely want to download the guide I mentioned in the intro, Five Ways to Select the Right AI Vendor. These are quick rules of thumb to make sure you only speak with companies that are a relevant match for you and that you can find companies that can genuinely serve your needs. 
That's at emerj.com slash B-U-Y-1, just the number one. So buy one, emerj.com slash buy one. You can download five ways to select the right AI vendor. Hopefully that resource will be useful for you and hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for next Tuesday when we get back into AI use cases here on the AI and Business Podcast. And otherwise, thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.